episode 52 of the Barbells and Briefcases podcast. My name is John Miller. Uh, our guest today that we have in front of me here is uh, Willie Ramirez. Willie is a freelance journalist here in Las Vegas. He's the Southern Nevada correspondent for the Associated Press, which means he covers the Golden Knights, the Raiders, NBA Summer League, college sports here in Las Vegas, and much, much more. He's also uh, the father of uh, our guest from episode 38, Jordan Ramirez. Willie, thank you very much uh, for your time today and for coming to talk to me. I appreciate it, man. Absolutely, absolutely. Appreciate you having me. Oh, thank you. Uh, so uh, did you always want to be a sports writer or, or is this kind of like a career that you fell into? Um, so I get asked that a lot. Um, when I was younger, we used to have tape recorders back when we were little. They're about this big. You had to hit the button and the cassette, put the cassette in, get all the buttons, these black buttons. In the middle of the play button was an orange or red button. Mm -hmm. If you push that down and held it, you could record it. Mm -hmm. You could record on the cassette. I used to record myself doing play-by-play -play Monday Night Football in the late 70s. I turned down the volume and I'd watch TV and I'd record it. Um, I used to go to a construction site with my grandfather and I would t steal copier paper out of the copier and I would draw a line down the middle and draw a line across the middle and I would rewrite the sports page in those boxes and I'd walk around the construction site. They were building the largest nightclub, first like standalone big discotheque type nightclub of Las Vegas. And I would sell it to the managers and the workers and no one's going to say no to the, you know, to the owner's grandson. So little things like that, I look back on and I kind of think it was somewhat, I don't know, it was embedded in my head to, to report what I was seeing, right. talk about what I was seeing. Mm -hmm. um, I was always a sports fan. Um, moved away from Vegas for a little bit. When I went to Minneapolis, I would um, go to a high school that had never been to the state high school hockey tournament. And, and then it finally did. And I remember cutting out, I still have all this. I remember cutting out certain aspects of the sports page and then adding copier paper, taping it in glue stick or tape and rewriting stuff or brackets so page design, writing. When I came back to Las Vegas, it was my senior year in high school, joined the yearbook staff. Um, but because I had never taken journalism, I had to go to journalism one. And But because I wrote so well, she asked me to write for the paper at some point that school year. And um, first year out of high school, I, had, I was working at the Boulevard Mall and the guys that worked there with me were, they became my best friends their parents founded the state's only black newspaper at the time. And I would go hang around there. I would just hang out at the paper. And it was an old school style, old machines where they, you, they print out film and you had to wax the back of the, the pages and strip it in with the, with the razor blade. So little things like that, just, you know, I was always around or interested and intrigued by, and, um, it wasn't a big books guy. It wasn't a big college. wasn't into, hated to read, still hate to read. And um, 
I just was more or less hands-on. My first cover story was on Mark Wade, who was a point guard for the UNLV Runner Rebels, mm -hmm. the, their second Final Four team. Um, and I would do little odds and ends at the Sentinel Voice. So I got till you know, four or five years in, I became a sports editor. And then I started doing stuff for the Review Journal, and I ended up at the RJ. And I was there and won a national award for page design started writing and uh, it was, you know, it, it just, it somewhat was, I don't know if it was a dream come true as much as it was something that I had always envisioned without knowing I was envisioning that's what I wanted to do. Right. And um, so now when I look back at certain times in my life, certain um, incidents that took place, um, people that I met, autographs that I have, um, my best, Example of that is I have an autograph from 1977 with Brent Musburger. He was calling the Running Rebels game at the Las Vegas Convention Center. Stopped him to get his autograph because I'd watch him every Sunday on a show called NFL Today. He was the host. And he asked me what my favorite sport was, and I said, football. And he said, what's your favorite team? Well, my favorite team was the Dallas Cowboys, but I played. For, my Pop Warner team was the Raiders. Mm -hmm. So when I told him that, I said, my favorite team's Cowboys, but I played for the Raiders. He put best wishes, Brett Musburger, the Raiders are a great team. Nice. This past football season, first Monday night football game, or the second week of the season, first Monday night football game ever to be held in Las Vegas. And I'm in the press box covering the game and Brett Musburger's two booths down calling it on radio. So that was kind of surreal, kind of fun for me. So little things like that, like I said, just I was always into sports, always into somewhere or another being involved, whether I was sitting in my own room, um, wherever I was, just reporting it. And um, it just turned out that's what I do. Yeah, it sounds like like you were just like getting your own reps in, like just on your own in your free time. And that's and it just getting all those reps in is what what made it so that when you did get your shot, it it fell into place just like that. Yeah, the opportunities have been different along the way. Um, and they have, um, it's just a matter of what I decided to, to take advantage of, which opportunities I decided to roll with, and, you know, what I saw working for me. Um, there was a point in time where um, my son reached an age where I was doing some online work, which I'm still doing for a sports betting company, um, providing analysis, just written copy, basically. And it allowed me to travel wherever I wanted to go. I could, you know, I could go anywhere in the world as long as I had a Wi-Fi signal and a laptop. I didn't even need a Wi-Fi signal as long as I could plug in with an Ethernet cord. Right. Um, and Jordan started just becoming active in different things. Uh, five years old, Taekwondo. By six, we were traveling all over the country for Taekwondo tournaments. You know, so anything that he was doing, I was able to attend. I was able to be at. Mm -hmm. And I always wanted to be there the week of his first birthday. His mom and I split. And um, I had him five, six days a week most of the time. There were there were years of his life where, you know, she, uh, he, she was involved. But ge geographically where we lived, it was hard for her. And she worked. <coughs> she didn't have the leniency that I did with my job. So. It was a little bit more difficult, and but we co-parented probably the best that you could ask anybody to co-parent, and um, it, it allowed me the freedom to 
um, raise Jordan from where I wanted mm-hmm. and do my job. And so when he got his driver's license, I was able to um, get back into freelance writing and it just escalated. I auditioned for the Associated Press and the guy that they had doing it at the time, um, he had a full-time, like he had a full-time position he had to report to. And it was, so it was difficult for him to be available and accessible when news broke. And so when AP started relying on me more and more and more, it's just, I just kind of worked myself into the, to the lead position and I've never really needed, I've had a backup here or there, or when there's been busy times, the schedule, uh, the conference tournament schedule comes out for March when the basketball tournaments come. So, and we spread the, the work out, but for the most part, you know, since 2012, um, since the fall of 2012, I've been with AP as a freelance writer mm-hmm. and, and it's just led to other opportunities. Cool. For, for writers is, is the way that you, where you mostly stay in Southern Nevada, right? You don't travel too much. For me, um, like if you work for the review journal or if you work for the Las Vegas sun, or if you're a B writer that needs to, if you if, if you're covering, um, there's no access to that team for your outlet, then you may need to travel. Um, so, but for the Associated Press, I don't need to travel because when the Golden Knights or the Raiders go uh, play on the road, there's an Associated Press freelancer or full-time employee in those cities, and they'll go cover the team. They're, and they're going to cover it. And the one thing that I do is, so I cover the Golden Knights, but I'm really covering the NHL. So, like, last night, even though, or what's today, Wednesday, Tuesday night's game, um, the way it went down with with the coaches having to be in COVID protocol, that was the majority of the story, but the story was on, it was the blues, you know? So in a normal situation, the team that wins is the team you're covering. Right. So the St. Louis blues won the game. Um, you know, in essence, you're supposed to be covering it because it was a unique situation with the COVID the golden Knights were the lead story. It was the main part of the story because of the, the coaches, but um, so you're covering the NHL when I'd cover the Raiders or the NFL um, if the Raiders lost, the story would be on the team that beat them, really. And you're and they're getting the lead quotes. The Raiders mm-hmm. are the, you know, somewhat. And then and with the NFL, there's always a second story. They call it breakout stories. It's like a sidebar. And somebody's writing that as well. So um, it just kind of depends on, um, you know, the situation. But as far as travel is concerned, I don't personally need to travel with the teams. Now, there have been situations that I have been in cities I already planned on going and they happen to need somebody or, you know, Oh, it just happened. You know, I was in San Jose a year or so ago, whatever it was a couple years ago. And they needed coverage of the sharks because the San Jose B writer was going to cover Gonzaga in the middle of the college basketball season. And they were ranked in the top five, maybe number one at the time. So they needed to be there. So I went and covered the sharks. So there have been situations where I've gotten gigs just by being in the right place at the right time. Went to Seattle on my own last year just to go up there. I'd never been there. Ended up covering a game. I ended up going to the uh, University of Washington, University of Oregon game. I ended up writing a little piece for the Review Journal on a former Red and Rebels. So um, my next planned trip, if I can pull it off, I would like to go to Lake Tahoe for the uh, Winter Classic, which the Golden Knights are playing in. I'm waiting to hear back to see if they're going to need coverage on that. Yeah, that'll be awesome. 
Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so if Willie Ramirez was coming up now and wanting to be a sports writer, what would you what would you tell young Willie Ramirez? I would tell young Willie Ramirez to take every opportunity that you can to write, to go to into a press box and do it without worrying about what it's paying you or how much it's paying you. Um, that was one of the things to this day still that I don't necessarily, as a freelancer, you know, there are people that get paid top, top dollar six figures because um, people sponsor the, that page. They, they sell, they sell newspapers, they sell advertisement or um, they get clicks. And these days, clicks on the internet are more important than a lot of things. But when you're a freelancer, you need your name out there. You need your byline out there as much as possible. So you want to take as many freelance opportunity gigs to get the bylines that you can. Um, prior to COVID, every summer when the summer league would come here, in June, the NBA draft takes place. I sit there with a pad and a pen, pen and I already have the list of the projected draft picks. So I already kind of know who's going to get drafted. And I check them off as they go. <laughs> I do process of elimination. The guys that went, that grew up and went to high school in an NBA city, I crossed them off a list. Guys that left their hometown to go play at a basketball factory, big clubs, school, I crossed them off the list. Foreign exchange student or foreign exchange players, crossed them off the list. I try to be left with about 20 players who come from small little towns, like equivalent to Boulder City, Nevada, um, White Plains, New York. Uh, Minnetonka, Minnesota. I reach out to those, to newspapers in those little towns. And I say, hey, my name is Willie Ramirez. I'm with the Associated Press. Um, I have already been credentialed to cover the NBA Summer League and will be there all 12 days or 11 days, whatever it is. You have your hometown hero just got drafted. He'll be playing for the Celtics or the Lakers or the this. Three games are already scheduled. I can have, you know, I can knock out five to 700 words for you. I can have a lot of it pre-written and drop in quotes after a game and get an interview set up. Would love to, you know, provide your readers with catching up with so-and-so from your little town. Mm -hmm. I'll send those emails out. I send 20 to 25 of those emails out. Fishing in the water. Yeah. I hope to get six to eight back. And then they do the second round of games after pool play and I'll send more out because then there's players that start stepping up that I didn't have on that list. Cause the NBA summer league includes first or second year players. And I'll go after their hometown papers. By the end of it, I tried to have 12, 14. Um, they usually come back with, you know, well, we're small. They see 33 year veteran associated press. They see these, credentials and they think, man, I can't afford this dude. I tell them, look, I've been doing this long enough. I'm going to be out there anyway. And what I need to write for you will be done before the game gets started. It might take me 30, 45 minutes of research. If it takes me 10 minutes to stand there to get the interview, 
another five minutes to drop the quotes in, another 10, 15 minutes administrative work, blah, blah, blah. If it takes me an hour and a half and you're paying me 75 bucks a story, where I'm used to getting two, three, four hundred dollars a story, whatever it may be, whoever the outlet may be, whatever the case is, whatever my invoices are used to being. If it caught, if it's only 75 bucks, but it only took me an hour and a half to do it, 75 bucks an hour, 60 bucks an hour, and I get 10 of those, right. it adds up and it adds on to what I'm already going to be getting to be out there, and it gets my name out there. I still do that to this day. That's journalism one-on-one hustle and uh, work ethic, just getting out there and hustling work to get your name out there, shake some hands, interview some some up-and-coming NBA players, whatever the case may be. And um, so that's the example I always give young sports journalists now um, is to do that. So to, to a younger me, and the thing is, is that's what I did. You know, that's what I was doing when I was with the Sentinel Voice. You know, I was the correspondent for USA Today. There was no internet. USA Today, everyone was waiting to pick it up on Monday to see the new top 25 football teams and, and, and basketball teams. And I was the, the Nevada correspondent. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's coincidence we're doing this, this um, podcast today because yesterday, the one-year anniversary of Kobe's death, I still have my clip from USA Today in 1995 – well, I wrote a story after two basketball tournaments, and um, one was Nike, one was Adidas. I was covering Adidas for the Review Journal, but I was out there doing some satellite work for USA Today, and the post-tournament story I wrote was on the fact that Kevin Garnett had just gotten drafted out of high school. And I said, well, let me go interview some of the top seniors or juniors that are going to be seniors on what their thoughts are on Garnett. And if they think, they said, that's fine. Just make sure that you somewhat insinuate or lead or give us an indicator with the top quote at the top of the kid you think's going next. And I shadowed Kobe Bryant all week, and he was my lead, and I still have that clip. So, I mean, I was hustling work back then the same way. It's just intensified. My credentials have gotten stronger. My resume has gotten deeper. So, you know, it's gotten so good that not – last summer since we were shut down, but 2019 summer league, when I sent that email out, I actually was able to put in there that I have assembled a team to help me compile these stories before opening tip on day one of the summer league. I had 14 assignments and I was able to help um, one young journalist here in Las Vegas who graduated from UNLV a few years ago and we're best of friends to this day. And I bring him along with everything that I do. I remember when he was a journalism student, he would sit at the far end of the press box with another guy. And I'd be the only ones that would talk talk to them because nobody really knew them, but they didn't want to, they didn't have time to take time to get to them because they were there busy doing their job. They were the journalism students, you know, the shit that these other journalists were doing 30 years ago, 20 years ago when they were in J school. I wasn't in journalism school. I didn't go to college. I was running the streets in Las Vegas, going to nightclubs, and then I was hanging out the, at the Sentinel Voice. And then I had other people reaching out and helping me, so I was doing for them. And then a girl that covered the Las Vegas Aces after her freshman year for the athletic, and she's a journalism student at ASU, I had noticed her work ethic, and I just noticed how she was at press conferences at the Aces. And I reached out to her. And so I brought those two along with me, and Danny's had he had some big time credentials, but Madison had never had a, she had never had um, 
an NBA critic. She had never had, she had WNBA, but, and I brought her along with me, introduced her to people and just kind of said, okay, go get them. Here's your, here's your assignments. And she, so they all had NBA bylines that year. And, and then, um, you know, I invoiced all the, the outlets and then I paid them from my corporation, mine and George corporation. So, I mean, it's always good to give back. You always want to make sure, you know, um, you give kindness out there to your the younger folks in your field, whatever it is that you do, because it's going to, not that it's going to come back. I don't, I'm not, I don't do things in order for me to get things in return, but by me showing somebody do something, do the right thing and shed a little kindness their way, then that's going to trigger them to do it to someone else down the road and how to do it right, right. and how to treat people properly. So rising tide raises all boats. Yes, sir. <laughs> it sounds like, like a lot of like what you do is like your homework beforehand and, and prep to make it so that when you are reaching out and you are fishing for that stuff so that you know exactly the high percentage, uh, the getting the most bang for your buck in terms of your time and things like that. Yeah, there's, you know, there's research involved. Like, so tomorrow, um, the Golden Knights hopefully will be playing. Um, there were no players on the COVID protocol list. Sounds like the coaches are still in isolation. So I'll do some prep work. Um, I do a lot of that at, in arena. Um, you know, you, you always want to work ahead a little bit. Um, it really depends on what you're going to do, but there's always going to be that pregame work. The internet or the uh, social media makes things so much easier, but it also makes it difficult because everybody's got an angle. Everybody's coming up with something. They're tweeting about something. You'll see me, you're on Twitter. You see me sometimes tweeting these statistics and this and that. By the time the game starts, somebody else has seen my tweet. They're using those stats. That's fine because you're putting it up. At that point, you're reporting it. Um, so you're always having to stay on your top of your game. Something could come up. What I've done lately, what I did with the Raiders, I, I would listen to Brent Musburger. So it's about a 30-second delay. So I'm watching the game live, and I'm listening to commentary. The skill is being able to block out the play calling and listening to the commentary from either the color commentator or something that happens to come up, you know, um, Derek Carr drops back 42 yard pass complete to Darrell Waller. That'll be his 18th pass of over 20 yards this season, but the Raiders are going to pick up a first down on that and they're going to move into Kansas city chiefs territory. The only thing I give a shit about in there is that it was his 18th pass of 20 plus yards. I could care less about that because the play I'm watching is two plays ahead of what he just called. Oh, so I'm taking notes and I do that in the hockey game as well, because those are little tidbits that they are given by a by a um, either a bird's eye guy or they're 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 a spotter is what they're called or they're stat feeder or someone that has all the game notes in front of them. They have a research assistant doing that while they're in their ear. So when you're listening to your, you know you listen to a color commentator or a uh, a play by play, they have a a, a Manila folder or a, a, not a Manila folder but a a folder that you 
and it, it's opens and it, they take a glue stick with the roster sheet and notes on each player. So they have it right there in front of them. Mm-hmm. So if that player does something good, they can pick out a note <laughs> and, and, and use it. So a lot of times I'll do that and you're picking stuff up as the game's going on. But prep work really is when you're covering a team like the Golden Knights that's playing every other night, your prep work is sort of paying attention. And here's another good thing that, you know, that I'll tell sports journalists also, and they never get this right. I'll ask you, um, you're not a young aspiring journalist, but we'll see what you think your answer is. Um, So back in the day when there were no computers, quick printers where you would, they'd hand out play by play and stats right after the, right after each quarter, right Mm -hmm. after you could get the play by play. There's no internet. We could just follow along in the game. For football, I would take a manila pad, uh, uh, a yellow legal pad, and I'd write down Raiders 1, 10, 20, first and 10 of the 20. Mm-hmm. Then I write down what they did. Second, 7, 23. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Why do you think that I do that? And I still do it to this day for most things. So that you have a running, like, pretty much like a diary of notes for like, if anything's particular happens on that one play so that you have, you can record what your thoughts were as that was happening. They do that for you, but, and I could take notes without doing that. Um, so I mean, it's a good answer and it's something that may have been taking place back in the day, but that's not. So the number one reason why I still take play by play, I go to a high school game. I go to a college game. I go from especially basketball, and football, is for no other reason so that I pay attention. Because if I don't do that, that means I'm not, I could be doing something else. By having to write down everything that's taking place, first and 10, or basketball, back and forth, back and forth, baseball, bringing a, bringing a, a, a line, a, a, you know, the, the baseball book and, and yeah. filling in the, the lineups and I used doing to watch it. baseball games like that when I was a kid and keep score like that. Right. Well, by doing that, I'm actually having to pay attention to every single play, pay attention to the game. Yeah. So I, I bet when it was when there was uh, fans in the stands, I bet that was it kept you from getting distracted by everything else going on in the stadium. Yeah, it's uh, it's a little weird. No fans in the stands. Um, it's it's different, and I never really noticed it. Obviously, what's funny is. I was, we were sitting up at the Allegiant Stadium the first time that uh, they let us in there. It was a training camp. And, there were, and a couple of guys were like, yeah, press box is cool. They said, and I'm thinking to myself, I said, I, I don't know why I said this. I have no clue. But I said, I go, but the press box is wide open. The stands are right there. I mean, trying to work and, you know, you're hearing everything. And, and they're looking at me. And I guess it didn't, like, my thought process was Sam Boyd Stadium. So it's all enclosed. The windows are closed. It's by your boxed in. Yeah. So you don't hear any of that. You can hear it from like a distance, but it's, it's a distant roar. You can't really hear what's going on. You're it's because in the press box, it's quiet. You're not allowed to cheer in the press box. You barely can talk. So I said to somebody, I was like, I said to my guy from ESPN, I was like, yeah, but it's kind of, you know, it's kind of weird because what if it, you know, once there's 60 something thousand people in there, it's going to be loud. 
And they looked at me and said, Willie, don't you cover the Golden Knights? Aren't, isn't everything open? Or they don't have a closed press. And it, it didn't really dawn on me because in, I guess you're not, you just you tune it out. And I always tell people this story is the first season with the Golden Knights, you sit in there first month or two, I can't remember what it was, but uh, Tampa Bay Lightning were in town and Shea Theodore hits the game-winning goal with 2.7 seconds left. 18.5 plus going crazy and you're sitting there like this and it happens instantaneously. The lights go off, the horn goes off, the crowd goes wild and you go like this next to the guy sitting next to you go, who got the assist on that? Okay. <laughs> And then you're just like, no big deal. You know what I mean? You're not paying attention to the excitement behind it. You're just, you're just reporting. Right. So that's what I, um, the crowds kind of, that's kind of an odd thing. Yeah. Yeah. What, what is the atmosphere like? Is it weirder for football or is it weirder for hockey? Uh, I would say probably now that I've covered a few games in hockey, I think probably, I don't know. It might be a little weird for hockey because of everything happening so fast and the hits, you know, someone lays somebody out at, you know, or like after a play, you know, whatever it may be, or like, oh, I'll tell you what, last night Stone gets in a fight and there's right. no, and nobody's making any noise. Yeah. That's got to be weird. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the goals are weird because there are times where, uh, you know what? I was typing last night because of the COVID issue. Um, and I'm trying to play key, but, the, you know, for the Associated Press, you have to write running because I have to submit about 400, 500 words when the horn sounds. When the clock hits zero, I have to have my story into the database um, and they post it within – I have to have it in within a minute after the game's over. They post it within five on the national wire. So you're writing a running. There were two times last night where I was doing something and I did not realize that they scored. I had my headphones in listening to the play-by-play guys and while I'm typing and they go – and the Blues had scored twice. And I hadn't realized it because I wasn't, I wasn't watching at the time because it, what I needed to get done, you know, and I could go back. I have the NHL.TV login so I can rewind a little bit. Um, so, yeah, that was a little weird because you can hear the crowd when people score. Right. So I would probably have to say hockey um, just because you're so used to the, the energy in T-Mobile. We, I don't know what the energy would be like in front of a Raiders crowd because I haven't been in front of one yet. Um, football, you can hear the players more than you can hear the uh, the hockey players. You know, when, when the teams are running, like when the Raiders are playing the Chiefs, right. that was a wild game. You could hear players yelling and screaming, you know, on the sidelines and whatnot. So, yeah. I imagine basketball is probably affected by a lot by the fans as well, just because it's such a game of like runs and lots of times home crowds can affect like officiating and things like that. So I bet basketball is probably the most, but of the, of probably the stuff that you've covered here so far is probably, probably hockey, just because like you said, the atmosphere in T-Mobile for sure. Yeah. Basketball players are trash talkers too. (laughs) <laughs> like I can imagine, I, I, I would think that the producers and the trailers, 
they're, you know, producing this stuff. They're probably telling their cameramen to be cautious of picking up sound when they're swearing. Um, but the trash talk that takes place and the, and the energy level off that from that, you know, that high, high intense action, you know, I mean, hockey's the same way. It's nonstop. You're back and forth, back and forth, one end to the other. But basketball, you're, you know, whereas hockey, even with crowds, you're behind the glass, you're up high here. And basketball, I mean, you're right up on it, in a sense, camera-wise, everything, you're kind of up on it. And I, I, I think you're closer, you're, you're somewhat on the court. Mm-hmm. You know, whereas hockey, you're on the ice, but you're, I don't know, it's different. I would think that, you know, basketball, I've yet to watch basketball yet. I've yet to, actually, I have. I went to uh, the Lady Rebels a um, couple of games, Lady Rebels and Stanford. And then I covered Baylor at T-Mobile Arena um, to start the season, number two team in the country. Just before they went to Indianapolis, they were actually supposed to play Gonzaga and that got postponed. But um, so I have covered basketball, T-Mobile and and, UN, and uh, Thomas and Mack. But... Let's uh, switch it up a little bit. Um, one thing for anybody that follows you on social media and, and just me knowing you, and you've already talked about it a little bit, is the the amount of love and support that you have for your son. So talk about your relationship with Jordan. Oh, man. Um, yeah. That's uh, Jordan and I, you know, I have not lived by myself since 1993 and it's 2021. That's when I met Jordan's mom. And, um, we, um, when I was 18, 17, 18, I was always, you know, I was always young, the young one, you know, my boys were 21, 22, 23. Um, you know, I got in the nightclubs. I was hanging out with all these older folks, um, dating older women. And, um, so they were having kids and I was always like, I, it was just natural to me. I was a natural, you know, um, barbecues, whatever. So I was always in, and everyone used to always say, you're, you're going to have a kid. You're going to have a son. Um, Willie's going to have a son that they, they would always tell people that. And, um, I'm sitting on my camera here. Um, <laughs> So when Jordan's mom and I met, it was a weird circumstance. I really don't tell this story a lot, but my grandfather, as I mentioned earlier, um, when I was little, was my world. I mean, we did everything together. And um, so he died in 1993 in March, or in April, excuse me, in April of 93. And the... um, Two months later, roughly two months later, I met Jordan's mom in a very weird, odd, crazy circumstance. She needed a place to stay. She worked at Vaughn's. She was, and she happened to be working with my neighbors. And we lived in this old raggedy apartment complex, which is now like I wouldn't even think about driving down there at night. Back then, it was just it was kind of like it was about to get played out from where it back in the eighties, it was, it was the nuts, right? If you lived over there, it was cool. Nineties, it was like, okay, they were starting to be nicer areas. So anyway, 
she needed a place to stay. And the neighbors brought her in and they ended up using her kind of like a babysitter, a living babysitter more than anything. And the way we met was just odd. And, and the very first time I met her, very, she walked up and the neighbor said, Willie, this is Kristen who I was telling you about. And I just kind of looked over my shoulder. I was like, hey, how you doing? And for that brief second that I looked and looked back, I was like, man, wouldn't that be wild? Like if I met her and we started dating and like, like do one of those stories where she was the one. And I literally thought that, like, I just thought that not because I, my instinct was like, Oh, she looks good. I mean, she did look good, but it was one of those situations where I was like, it was just a weird thought for half a second. And few weeks later she we were talking outside because we would all converge outside in this complex where we live and she told me that you know she just she kind of felt like they were using her a little bit she wasn't too happy with how things were playing out I was like, come out with me and my boys we'll take you out we'll take care of you whatever I'll get you back safe you know I was again I was being night. I mean there was that at that point there was really no, I don't think there was an attraction or not that there wasn't but there wasn't like there was never flirting we weren't hitting on each other. So I took her out and we just started getting friendly and we ended up dating and she moved all her stuff into my apartment. We moved out of there and got a condo. She got pregnant. We got a house. The week of Jordan's first birthday, we split. Jordan and I have been together ever since. And my belief is that my grandfather died saw how my life was going where not that I mean I was having a really good time but I was partying I was kicking it I was just kind of living life how I wanted and I needed probably needed some structure sent Kristen my way um sort of got my mind right got my focus on my career and came back as Jordan and I'm not a big you know crystals chakra uh reincarnation spiritual you know i believe in god i believe in faith i believe in signs um but i don't wear it on my sleeve a lot the only thing i've worn on my sleeve in the last year a lot is my my uh, uh, preaching and promoting mental health advocacy <laughs> but in this situation i'm 100 convinced that that's how it went down and my grandfather came back as jordan and um because I always tell people, Jordan probably saved my saved me from my, saved my life from me. Um, just because I was just leading life recklessly, I was doing whatever it was that I wanted to do in a reckless manner. You know, partying, kicking it. I mean, I was like I said, I was working at the newspaper, I was DJing, I was taking mobile gigs, but I was gambling, I was having a good time, hanging out, doing a lot of blow. I was dating strippers. I was. I mean, I don't care. I just, I put it out there. Mm -hmm. I got nothing to be ashamed of. I, I lived a charmed life in right. the 80s and 90s before social media, when the town was a lot smaller. There were no, no hotel nightclubs. You know, it was a great time to be in old school Las Vegas. Right. So Jordan changed all, or Kristen changed all that. And then Jordan came along and then added responsibility to my life. And like I said, when Jordan was five and he started doing stuff in Taekwondo and I was able to do stuff on the internet, um, traveling everywhere, I just stopped working in an office setting. And I was able to come and go and do as I wanted as long as I was with Jordan. 
So baseball tournaments, Taekwondo tournaments, you name it. I was able to go to those things and take him. I, I figured it out one day that after all the Taekwondo tournaments he'd been in, all the little league baseball games he'd been in, all the flag football, all the foot, all the tackle football, um, wrestling for Arborview, bodybuilding events, you name it. I could not think of more than seven events that I didn't make it to in his entire life. That's crazy. There's not too many parents that could say that. That I have a big belief that there's a difference between parenting and raising. And, um, you know, I feel I did both. You know, I'm not the type of parent that's going to throw in your face from zero to 18 years old. I was a good parent. I put, You always had a hot meal on your, you know, to eat, sit down to. You had a roof over your head. You had clothes on your back. Bullshit. That's what you're supposed to do. <laughs> if you have a kid, guess what? That is your responsibility. Don't throw it in your kid's face that you fed them and put a roof over their head and fucking did things for them that you're supposed to do. Right. To me, you're exceptional because you uh, went to their practices and didn't just drop them off at the curb at the park. You got involved with their homework. You got involved with everything they were doing in school. I was the, the volunteer at every elementary school, at every middle school. You know, I was the, the videography at Arborview's wrestling team. Um, I, I, when he was in elementary school, Jordan may have had school lunch, maybe. 10 times every day I showed up with a hot lunch. Cause we lived right, right literally around the corner from both elementary schools. He attended. We lived around the corner from um, kindergarten to fifth grade. Kindergarten didn't matter. It was half day, but first to fifth, I was dropping off a hot meal almost every single day. So um, that being said, I just, um, it's what I wanted to do. I, I told this example in, an article I just wrote for my website, um, Proud Fathers, for my for my website, wgmirrors.com, my December series was Proud Fathers. And I did, uh, there's always a personal story, a local story, a national story, or a celebrity or pro athlete. So that month, Ryan Reeves granted me an exclusive. Um, the local was on a high school, a retired high school basketball coach whose daughter now is the head coach for the UNLV Larry Rebels and myself. Well, I had a major interview back in 2000, I think, 1999-2000. And they asked me, what do you see yourself doing in five years? And I said, I don't know. I said, to be honest with you, I don't know. But what I do know is that whatever it is I am doing, in five years, I'll be the best father that I can be. And so whatever I'm doing, whatever job it is, I'll be the best at it. Whatever situation I'm in, I'll be the best at it because I have no choice to be, if I want to continue to be a good single father. Right. So he's always, you know, that's always been my priority. Um, and now we're roommates. You know, people say, you know, Jordan still lives with you. I, I got a buddy of mine who's didn't get his first place till he was like 38 years old. He stayed in like a casita type or a garage built home with his, you know, back in our old school days, it's, it's not a big deal. Right. Um, and there's a lot of old school tendencies that I've tried to raise Jordan under that umbrella. And, uh, and I see that work ethic come out and he's just taking it to another level 
with the perfect gym, you know, same, same ways, you know, first week of second semester of college, he dropped out. He said, pops, you got my back. And I said, yep. And he said, I have a five-year plan. That was in 2015. And you've heard him probably spout different things of different times at the athletic club. Just, you know, he said, I want to build my brand. I want to build my fitness training. I want to build the seasonings. I want to build the apparel. I want to, at 21, I want a bodybuilding title and a pro card. And hashtag 2020 vision was the phrase on all social media. I have a picture on top of Lone Mountain looking over the valley and says, can you see it? 2020 vision, the perfect gym. Mm -hmm. And November, 2020, he got the keys to his gym, the perfect gym. You know, um, he got his pro card and a bodybuilding title at 21. Um, in the natural, you know, he told many, many people out of the same club that you guys trained together with or trained at together, told him he would never get any title. He would never win any competition unless he started juicing because he had the competition stacked against him. And it drove him even further to not want to take, you know, to to stay in the natural world. Right. So um, just watching his dream, you know, and supporting him in whatever is that he wants to do and trying to add some guidance. I mean, now it's a little bit harder, 25 year old trying to tell him what to do because you run the fine line of business partner, father, um, you know, not stepping on his toes, making sure he understands and knows that I'm trying to help, not trying to tell what to do. Um, As a business partner, there are times where I have to have my opinion has to matter, you know? So, um, but we've been through a lot together. You know what I mean? He, we just, we've, we've gone through some, down some rough roads um, together. Um, we've gone through, you know, our own, like any father, son, mother, daughter, mother, son, father, daughter, trials and tribulations. And um, it's, it's, it's one of those bonds. that's somewhat unbreakable that many other people that observe it, like you mentioned to introduce this part of the segment, um, social media, you know, people see that and the bond that we have is envied by a lot. You know, I get that a lot from a lot of people that went to school with him that call me pops and come to me for advice and say, you know, I wish my pops was involved with my life as much as you are with Jordan, so on and so forth. But it's not just me though. I go back to his mother, you know, for 18 years, the co-parenting aspect of it, it wouldn't be like that if there wasn't if there wasn't the aspect of, of, of Kristen, myself and Jordan, you know, and then she met her, her, her now husband, Howard and, and his step. So his stepfather, he was, he's just as important. Everything that Jordan builds and puts together and does people say, "Will you did a great job. Will you did a great job. They tell me how much he, you know, he, when I'm not around, he, you know, Pops did this, pops this, pops that, and he commends me and he he talks. But the one thing that I always tell them is said, you know, I, it wasn't all me. It may have all been on me on the surface, but without the support of his mother and later his stepfather, um, and being patient when he would go over there or things that he was having to go through and do, it it, it would never have formulated the way that it did. So it, 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 it's, I, her and I could write a book on co-parenting to do it properly. So. And, and he turned into a really good dude and that, that hustle gene didn't fall very far from the tree at all. Appreciate it. 
Yeah. Well, you the loyalty know. aspect I see in him is funny because he gets on me about pops. You know, these kids are far enough removed from high school or da da da. You know, it's a lot of the kids that come around whenever they need something, just when they need something. I'm like, and I'm still there for them. You're like, you're, you know, you're not your father. You don't have to feel obligated. Don't get so stressed out, da da da. But then I see the way he is now and with how many people depend on him and his loyalty to his friends and his clients in the gym. And it's funny because a lot of things he does, the compassion, the, um, the empathy, the loyalty he has, it's the same, it's the same way. You know what I mean? Yeah. So. And then you mentioned uh, like being an advocate for mental health, health awareness. What, what made you want to get into that and, and, and just talk about that? Um, you know, recently I've learned the phrase cerebral health, first of all. Um, cerebral health, your brain, is where we can't control our thoughts. You know, you never know when you're going to wake up. If, if, you, if you battle cerebral health, you don't know when it's going to hit you. I've had so many people tell me that I shouldn't think the way that I think when I'm de- hit depression or I hit low lights um, when my mental game is off a little bit, they tell me that I shouldn't think that way because I have so much going for me or this, that, the other. What they don't understand is I don't shoot. Like I don't just decide people don't just decide one day. I think I'm just going to, I just think I'm going to be down today. Mm -hmm. It, It hits you right. Like a brick wall. It's just boom. It's just, you just, and you don't know how long it's going to last, but you know when it hits you. Like, t- a perfect example, today, like I told you earlier, I'm t- I was tired. And I think it was because of how cold it was in the arena. Mm-hmm. You wake up every day with a different feeling. We all do. I don't care how old you are. And they're natural feelings. It's how we react to our bodies, our mindset. Okay, you're a trainer. Someone wakes up with sore legs. Their thought is, I don't want to go to the gym. My muscles are sore. They're still in recovery. That's when you're supposed to go to the gym. That's when you're supposed to be proactive. That's when you're supposed to do whatever it takes. Active recovery, treating the injury, right? Same thing with your with your mental game. So there is a point in time in my life where I had a major insurance policy for Jordan. Um, my wife, not Jordan's mom, um, lady that I met and she bailed on us. We got home from a wrestling meet his junior year and half the house was empty and it was Jordan and I alone again. We got through it and everything. And now he had his driver's license. He was good to go. Um, sort of had his game plan in place, graduated high school and there were more times than not, I just started having natural thoughts every morning going, man, I just don't want to deal with today. Mm-hmm. And I would think to myself, you know, if I wasn't here, Jordan would have seven figures in the bank. He could get his gym. I've lived a full life. My life story is a book. I mean, a lot of people say that, but my, my, my website every month, I think what I just said was when I have a personal story, depending on what the theme is each, each month, mm-hmm. I, I, I write a personal story at the end of 12 months, I'll have 12 chapters to flesh out, to write a book. Um, 
the exciting times of growing up in Las Vegas. I mean, the eighties and nineties alone will be the, 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 the main part of the book. It'll be the nut of the book, right? It'll, so I've lived a pretty cool life. The things that I've done, things I've gotten away with um, as far as like, when I say got away with, I'm talking about like in the eighties where you're cruising the strip, you're talking to girl, endless girls, you're with multiple girls and, you know, and, and just, I mean, just, you know, the, just the party scene, okay? I'm not talking about illegal activity. What I mean is, well, other than maybe doing some drugs. But, but yes, yes. Um, I could check out tomorrow. I could check out tonight. I could say that I, like, there's nothing that I haven't done that I would like to do. I'd like to visit Italy. I'd like to visit France. But there's a lot of things that I've done that nobody will ever get to do. And, you know, I've lived a full life. So there were times that I had suicidal thoughts. There's other times that I still, to this day, battle mental, uh, cerebral health, which means you have to turn your mental health game on. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is your cerebral health is where you uncontrollably start having these thoughts and, you know, the depression kicks and you just, your ass is kicked and you just don't want to do anything. You don't want to be bothered and you turn off social media and you turn off your phone and whatever the case is, your mental health is where you bring it into action to counter once you've hit bottom, when you feel, when you wake up and feel depressed, you have to wait till it, for it to finish. Then you battle it and then you come out, you know, whether it lasts a day or two. Um, the suicidal thoughts, they still range, but they're not as heavy as they used to be. 2015, I started questioning a lot of things. Like I said, I would say, you know, Jordan has this inheritance. Um, he'd be set. I've lived a full life. Um, I really don't need to be here. And why am I here when I'm doing all this stuff freelance. And at the time I was trying to catch on for, for like different jobs and nobody in town would talk to me. Um, I would apply for jobs outside of Las Vegas, couldn't get a gig. And one guy in town, a columnist, um, a writer said, Willie, and at the time I told him I was going to, you know, I said, I don't know what I'm going to do. He said, don't do anything drastic. And he didn't realize that he meant move out of town. He meant find a job and leave Las Vegas to go pursue journalism somewhere or just get out of town. Because like I said before, I could do what I do with sports betting anywhere. Right. So I could take my laptop and bail and move to Denver mm-hmm. and do something, you know, it doesn't matter where I live. But I was looking, so when he said, don't do anything drastic, he meant move out of town. What he didn't realize is to me, drastic meant kill myself which was, you know, a thought, not again. And I said this in my article from November on WGRamirez.com. I didn't have a gun or a bottle of pills sitting next to me 24 seven. I wasn't on suicide watch, but you think it. And um, he said, whatever you do, don't do anything because the NHL is coming and the NFL is coming. The pro sports is coming. Nobody knows this, but the rumors we're all hearing, and he meant me, him, blah, blah, blah. He goes, everything they keep keep feeding us, it's going to happen. Don't do anything drastic. I said, okay. He said, someone's going to need you. A national firm is going to need you to cover, you know, pro sports. I said, okay. So 
I hung around. I waited. And, worked out. you know, the, the rest is kind of history as far as that is concerned. The workload is concerned. But I still battled rough days. And there are some not as, you know, not as often. Now maybe once or two times every month, couple of months, where I really have rough days. And I go, man, this is one of those days where I'm ready to just check out, you know. And you just battle it. So my big thing is this. I've realized that being able to talk about it like this, like it's nonchalant, like it's no big deal, um, is what makes it easier to overcome. Mm-hmm. The people that talk about it get so emotional wrapped up are the ones that, you know, they're, they're severely hurt. They're severely battling. <laughs> you do have the people that you never know which line you could cross where they're just doing it for attention or they're actually serious. Right. And that's why it's hard for me to turn my back because there was a time on Twitter, I don't know, Jordan was a sophomore, I think, and there was a girl who, a, 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 a person had just committed suicide um, that went to Arborview. And there was, a, there was a person on Twitter tweeting just very alarming thoughts. And I DM'd her on Twitter, I was like, hey, are you okay? And we sat there and talked for a while. A, the Christmas later, so a year, whatever. So let's just say that that was in September. I don't know what, I don't remember the month, but not that Christmas, but the year Christmas later, she had left me a voicemail crying, saying that she had just gotten, um, you know, she had just went through all of our messages from that year and a half back. She had saved them and she wanted to call to wish me Merry Christmas and thank me because she was going to take her life that night. And so it reminded me that number one, that, you know, nobody's alone. We all go through it. Mm-hmm. Number two is that you never know what anybody's going through. 100%. And number three, it's okay to not be okay because there are some really good people in the world that are going through shit that we have no clue about. So, you know, I don't look at myself as a, as a big time, anything. I don't look at, I actually don't look at myself as anything as far as the other people want to look at, they see the things that I get to do and go and cover. And, you know, it's not as glamorous as it looks. Is it fun? Yes. Is he being able like right now it looks cool because I'm one of the privileged that's able to go to a game, a live sporting event. I get that. Or I get to, I haven't missed the home game of the, of the golden Knights. I get that. Um, but we're there to do a job. We're not having fun. We're not cheering. We're on deadline. It's, it can be stressful. Yesterday, last night was stressful. Um, so in them seeing me in that light, they may see me as a big time reporter because I'm covering these events or NBA summer league, rubbing elbows with NBA, whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. So in their eyes, if they want to put me in that light, like he covers these events, he's a big time reporter. If I can use that in a, in a productive manner that they see this big time reporter that they're projecting an image of that's telling them that he has a that he battles cerebral and mental health and that he has had suicidal thoughts 
And, and that person is somebody that everyone else is looking up to or aspiring journalists are looking up to, and they're battling something that they can't face or they won't talk about. It lets them know that they're, that, that they're not alone. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how many people I reach. I don't know. You know, the other day I put something on my Instagram story. I don't know if you saw it. And it said, I wonder if I kill myself if my son will miss me. Mm-hmm. And I saw that on my explore page and I, screenshot it and posted it because it was relevant to a, to many years ago. And not that I would don't think that Jordan would miss me, but you think of your children, you know, and, and I didn't think like, will he miss me? It's more like, will he need me? You know what I mean? Once I go, because I'm leaving him so much money and he's going to, you know, he'd be set and he did, he'd have his dream come true and so on and so forth. So I wanted people to know that, that's a that's a that's a relevant thought and people think these ways you're not alone it's okay to think this way um and i had a woman an older woman i put on all three stories facebook instagram twitter had a woman reply to me on facebook in my dm and i know she meant well but if you read between the lines of the message she really didn't because the first sentence was saying don't think this way. You shouldn't think this way. <clears throat> and then it went into, and then she flipped it, turned it all about telling me about the problems she's having with her kids who I'm friends with. Mm-hmm. She really just wanted to talk about that. And then she closed it with, don't think that way. I will never tell somebody who's going through depression or mental health or suicide or whatever, that they shouldn't feel like that. You shouldn't feel like that. That's not the... That's the last thing that you tell somebody who can uncontrollably think these things. I don't want to think when someone tells me you shouldn't think like that. I go, Oh God, shit. You solved it for me. Great. Now I know what I need to do. I'll just stop fucking thinking about it. Come on, man. You don't tell somebody not to think that way when they can't control that. You can't control depression in terms of when it hits you, you can only control, you can only control your reactionary mode after it's, it's hit you. So, um, you know, I just want people to, to know that they're not alone. I think if anybody were to tell me that they do not have mental health issues, they don't battle. They don't struggle with their mind at times. I don't care who they are. Don't care who they are. From football players to basketball players to comedians to actors to your garden variety bodybuilder to the run-of-the-mill secretary to anybody. If you tell me that your life is perfect and that you don't think, then you are abnormal. Right. There are more people that battle mental health than that, that don't. And the people that you have people that reportedly do or you're a statistic and you have people that don't. I would say 50% of those people that don't just haven't been brave enough to admit that they do. And if you do, then you need to be an advocate and tell people how to, you know, to, to get over themselves or to get over their, their issues. Because at some point we all have rough mental edges that we have to, you know, smooth out and you have to do it properly. You have to avoid chemicals in, in certain manners. You know what I mean? I'll never get on anybody if they want to take recreational drugs. I mean, I don't want to see anybody OD, 
but they're going to do it. I just more or less would tell them, be careful, be smart, be, you know, think about what the fuck you're doing. The one thing I will tell you to do is not to use, I don't believe in medicine to balance anything out. The only thing that I can, that I can't really speak on, I'm not a doctor, but when it comes to like bipolar, I know that you have to be on medication, mm-hmm. but to put somebody on Xanax or, you know, stuff that just completely changes you and it just knocks you out to, to I just, I think that there's better ways to do it. And it starts with talking. And if you, when you can learn to just talk about it and say, yeah, I, I've thought about committed suicide, committed, I've thought about committing suicide. It comes out and you get it out. You get it out. You're a bodybuilder. You've been to plenty of different therapists of different kinds of, in terms of muscle recovery. Mm-hmm. What I learned recently, just recently, about cupping and fascial stretch therapy. Cupping is far deep than that initial getting that knot out after, you know, after holding the bar up here and squatting, you know, and you got a knot or, or doing lat pulls, whatever. And then you go and you get those dark circles and that's where the stagnant blood is. Right. Right. If you could, if you, people just do it once in a while, if you do it regularly, like every few weeks to, with the same person, or I have two therapists. Mm-hmm. What happens is, and I use my arm as an example. I've done this to, to explain to people how I see it. So here is your injury, mm-hmm. right? So, you, so here, here's your body. Here's your muscles, and here's the outside of your body. You put the cup here, and it's going to get this injury going, and this is where the blood flow is going, and you're, you're drawing toxins out. These deep-rooted toxins back here where they say people, t- people say don't hold it in can cause stress can cause shingles. It can cause all this stuff that's deep rooted inside you. Mm -hmm. You get this initial injury out. Now you go back again to keep the consistency. This injury didn't resurface, but this deep rooted toxin that could have been caused by mental health, pain, trauma from years ago, a traumatic situation, whatever it may be, it's deep rooted. It could be from your childhood. It could be from anything. And it keeps coming out to where your cupping remarks now become blistering and it's normal. I've read, I've done so much research on this ever since meeting this one cupping therapist. And I'm so much a believer and I bought into the philosophy that a lot of deep rooted toxins have come, have come out. And the first time that I had severe blistering off cupping wasn't too long ago. And I, I swear to God, if I'm lying, I'm flying and I'm sitting right here on this zoom. Yeah. I have not had as much clarity that I've had the last eight to 12 weeks since I started cupping regularly with my two girls. I call them my angels because in reality, um, they both do, do, do their job in a different manner. They both have a different touch. Um, but I, but I honestly believe that the clarity that I've, um, that I've been seeing things with and waking up with and, it's allowed me to get through the stress of getting through, of opening this gym with Jordan and getting through COVID and this, that, the other, because I've continued the therapy. I've continued to talk about mental health. I've continued to post about mental health. Um, I've written about it. And so um, it's just getting everything out, getting everything out. And and you can't force anybody to do it either. They got to be ready to do it also. Right. So, all that in a nutshell, a long-winded story, um, just battling with my own trials and tribulations in, in up here, um, thought processes of, 
of why weighing pros and cons of why I should stick around and why I should just off myself. Mm-hmm. Like literally just, you know, well, if I go, what I miss out on this, what I miss about, man, man. Um, that, that, that voicemail that I got from that girl who's now a woman and in a very professional career, um, we, we made the agreement that I'll never divulge until she's ready to tell her story. Um, she's a professional public figure who's, you know, wildly looked up to, um, and just a lot of other things that I see. I'll tell you another story if we have time. Go for it. Uh, I was at Spring Valley High School for three years in a row speaking to the sports leadership class. And the first two years I did to introduce myself when I get there, the, 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 the teacher would have them submit to me before I went there. If they were a hashtag, what would their hashtag be? So they all came up with their own hashtag. Mm-hmm. I needed their name, their class, their sport, and their hashtag. So, you know, senior John Miller wrestling hashtag beast mode. Right. So I'd have all, it was two classes and I'd have all these kids with, and I wrote an article without ever meeting them. And what it taught them was research that I go through for some of the sports writers, right? Mm-hmm. Putting the story together, humbling some of them that, you know, had these, you know, bold hashtags. The third year, I switched it up and I decided to say, you know, I want to tackle this mental health issue. And I, I had seen this project on Facebook. It was like a promoted shared story. And it was about a teacher who told everybody, it was, it was like Project Baggage. Everybody was to write this essay, quick hundred words on something they carry on, a burden they carry within them, and they don't tell anybody about it. Don't put your name on it. And when you're done, crumple it up and throw it to the front of the classroom. So we waited until everybody was done. Now he jumbled them up and he started throwing them back to people. And then he made everybody read it to the class. So the class was hearing what all the baggage people were carrying around in their lives and then told them by you crumpling it up and throwing it is what you're doing to your, you know, these harbored feelings that you have toward whatever reason. Mm -hmm. And so I told the teacher, I said, this year, no hashtag. I want everybody to write the baggage they're carrying around. Don't put their name on it. And I will read, I'll pick five or 10 of these. And I'll read period one to period three, and I'll read period three to period one. Mm-hmm. And most of, I'd say 80% of them was like the, the, the thing they carried around was how hard it was to um, be a varsity athlete, maintain their GPA, which I'm not downplaying. I'm sure it is, but that was the common one. And that's part of being a high school athlete. I mean, I get it. And it can be tough on your mind. But there's a lot of things that you can eliminate to overcome that. If I were to, to, to sort of lecture to them, say, hey, you know, let's eliminate Twitter. Let's eliminate Instagram. Put your phone down. Leave your phone in one room while you're at home doing your homework. Stuff like that. Right. There were kids who were beat by their mom's boyfriend. There were um, – I, the only thing that I didn't run across, thank God, was sexual abuse because I probably would have to report it. Mm-hmm. Um, 
actually the teacher read through them before he turned them over to make sure there was nothing alarming. But there were some deep ones, suicidal thoughts, um, brothers and father figures and male role models in and out of prison. Things that these people were going through. By the time I was done with the two classes, I had kids tearing up in each class. And what I wanted to remind them was that when you go to lunch today and you're sitting in the cafeteria and you're, got, you're in the cool kids table because you're the fucking cool click mm-hmm. and you're looking across at the table that has the nerds or the computer geeks or the weird kids because nobody will befriend them and you're talking about them. They're equal to these kids that are, that are your classmates that are going through something and you don't know what they're going through. Yeah. And if one of those kids take their lives, you could take it to heart that you may have something to do with it because you pick on them, you make fun of them, you throw fucking pieces of food at them, whatever it is that you do to them mm-hmm. to make them feel inferior and not want to be on campus when they have to come to school every single day and deal with people like you. And I, and I'm, and, and if, and I said to them, and if none of you pick on anybody or make fun of anybody, then I apologize. But if one of you do, then you contribute to the problem of adolescent mental health problems. Mm-hmm. And somebody's always going through something that we don't know about. Right. And kindness goes a long way. You know, I'll never, ha- I'll never forget this. You may remember this, but there was one day where we were in the gym and I asked you about that girl. I do. You know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, I know exactly the moment you're talking about. I remember that. And I said, I said, hey, man, this girl, she's always nice. Like, she smiles. She says hi to me, blah, blah, blah. And you're like, really? She's 18. I was like, uh, all I'm saying is because I just want to make sure who she is so I could say hi back I to her. That. I'm, just trying, <laughs> I'm, just trying to be, I'm just trying to be nice to her because she's being nice to me. And I don't know who yeah. she is. Can you fill yeah. me in? Because I think that you had said hi to her. I saw that you were talking to her. Yeah. But your first response was, she's 18. Dude, I'm not trying to hit on anybody. I'm not trying to get with no young girls. But right. you have people that are being nice to you in the gym, which is very fucking rare, especially the opposite end. A young, beautiful girl is going to the gym. She doesn't want to be bothered with people. Right. You know what I mean? So you know how hard it is to try to pitch perfect seasonings or apparel and walk up in LVAC or EOS, a big box gym, and be like, hey, I see your work ethic. I see you working here all the time. They're going to be like, they're going to go home and put you on blast on Instagram and be like, okay, old creepy man, we don't need you, blah, blah, blah. That's not why I'm there. And they don't know that I'm fucking, you know, that I'm a mental health advocate, that I promote kindness, that I'm that that's not my intention. Right. So I'll always remember that, that I had asked you about that girl. I and, that. and I was just like, uh, <laughs> dude, she's just always smiling, be nice. So I just want to be nice back to her. But before I a- acknowledge or strike up a conversation just to say hi or whatever, I know that you know her. And you're like, oh, okay, da, da, da. And you told me. Yeah, <laughs> that's funny. And I, I remember the exact moment because I, and I know the person that you're talking about. So that's. I ended up seeing her at the lift factory. Mm-hmm. She started training there with her boyfriend mm-hmm. while Jordan was a trainer there. Right. Small. She would come Vegas yeah. is small, man. Vegas is small. And yet imagine I've been here since 72. So I know when it was minuscule compared to now. Right. Well, last thing before we go, uh, give okay. me your Super Bowl prediction. Wow. Um, so I write an NFL column for a 
one of the oldest gaming publications. I am going to write up the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, um, mainly because I have I have developed and and since being in the sports betting industry, I have built a spreadsheet program that predicts the final scores of games, and if it ever predicts a favorite to cover by a large amount, meaning three or more points mm-hmm. or an underdog to win outright. I usually take that team and it has the Buccaneers winning this game outright. It has the under as well. So what that tells me is that Tampa Bay's defense has improved dramatically. Um, when they were, I want to say seven and five, I believe yeah. um, they were on the brink of, of playing themselves out of the playoffs and they just came on strong very impressively the way that they closed the season and more than anything it was the defense right Brady had been doing his thing Brady had been you know I watched Tom Brady play at the Legion Stadium Brady had been doing his his thing Kansas City has always relied on its offense and it doesn't it's it's kind of one of those teams that doesn't take its defense as serious as it probably should meaning it doesn't care at times like it, it, it because it knows that it can explode at any given time. Like you saw last week against Buffalo, mm-hmm. you know, you get, you hook up Mahomes and, and, and Tyree kill and it's on. Um, they always think they can outplay another team, which they can when they turn it up. If they're going against the right defense to do that, Tampa Bay is peaking. Kansas city has been a team that's been doing this defensively. The offense is there. Tampa Bay's offense has been like this. The defense has been sitting here like this, and then it just went like this. Mm-hmm. So it's gotten better along the way. It's playing so much improved football. And, you know, it took this season for me to realize that it, I was never really a Tom Brady hater. Hater. It's always been New England. It's always anything from Boston. You know, you. I was born in New York. I was raised in Las Vegas. I just don't like Boston teams. Yeah. So I still don't like the Patriots, but now I'm kind of happy for Tom Brady. And I like Pat Mahomes. I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan. I've been a Cowboys fan since 1976, 77. Mm-hmm. But I, I dig Pat Mahomes. I like, you know, Kansas City Chiefs are, are a fun team to watch. I've been watching the Chiefs before Mahomes was there. Just, you know, just kind of intriguing little team. i um, been to Kansas City um, when a buddy of mine lived there, been to Arrowhead. So, um it's not a matter of like picking against the team or hating one or the other. I dig the fact that both teams, Jordan's first football team that he ever picked to be a favorite when he was a little boy was the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And it was a couple of years before they won the Super Bowl. So he had already liked them with the pirate ship and the whole bit. Yeah. Um, it was like the all-star work done years. Yes. And, and you know, it's funny is I'm, it, I'm, I'm social media friends and I've interviewed and talked to, and covered his son, uh, Michael Pittman. He, he was a running back from there. He played at Fresno State with Vernon Fox. Uh, you may have seen Vernon at LBAC. Anyway, um, so that being said, I just I think that Tampa Bay's defense, I think two weeks to prepare. I think Bruce Arians, you know, is a very good coach. You look at what he's done, his his resume, he's coached against a lot of a lot of coaches. He's coached a lot against a lot of schemes. Um Again, Kansas City, I think, is going to come in and they're going to think that they're, they're going to have to overpower Tampa Bay's defense. And I think Tampa Bay's just got to come in and play the balanced game that they've been playing. Um, can either team win? Absolutely. Um, Kansas City's got to catch fire and 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 get serve a knockout punch early like they did against Buffalo. They let Tampa Bay hang around too many to- uh, too long. 
Tampa Bay's defense is going to make the big play. They're going to put the ball in in, in Tom Brady's hands. The, uh, that's the other thing. Tampa Bay can um, if they can run the ball well and project a balanced spreadsheet and keep the ball out of Kansas City, limit them to maybe one or two possessions, possibly in the first half each quarter, mm-hmm. and then control it from that from the from the uh, you know after making adjustments at halftime. It's going to be tough, tougher than Kansas City thinks to move against Tampa Bay's defense if it plays as well as it played down the stretch. So I'll be writing um, this. This It's funny. The Gaming Today publication has been around since I was a little boy. They just got sold. They're, the, the last two publications that are going to print are next week and the following week. They're the last times that they'll ever be printed. Then it's going to be an online edition in a different manner, doing different things. I don't know what they're doing, but it's been bought out. Um, so I will have the very last Super Bowl preview on the cover to ever be printed in a in in this in this long-running sports betting publication. And I'll have the last NFL story to ever be written after the Super Bowl. And in the Super Bowl, I will uh, my game my my um article will be why the Buccaneers will win, why they'll lose, why the Chiefs will win, why they'll lose, and my prediction at the bottom of how the game will play out. So if you're in the sports books, look for gaming today. They're all over the city. You can also, I believe, I think the website's coming down this week and they're going to restructure it. So that won't be available, but uh, so yeah, there you go. Awesome. And uh, so is that the article going to be online then as well? I, you know, it's weird. Gamingtoday.com today, I noticed the site was down, but when you went to my bio page, it was live. My, my, my actual bio page is live, which is my link. It, that's one of my links or my link on my Twitter. Oh, no, I think I changed everything over to WG Ramirez, but I do on my Instagram have a link tree. So if you go to link tree, you can find my, my bio page. That was still live. Okay. Um, otherwise, like I said, the print edition will be live. Sweet. And then, and then what's your website, Willie? wgramirez.com um every month i have a different theme and i stick with that theme across three stories so there's three angles under one theme um when i relaunched the website october was societal climate i talked about the black lives matter movement um in, in in spending those first eight years of my career like i said at the black newspaper so why it mattered um, the local story was on a couple of Metro officers who spoke um, anonymously about their dealings with issues in the city and their beliefs. Um, and then I did something with the Las Vegas Aces assistant playing uh, coaching in the Wubble. November was mental health. December was proud fathers. I just told you my story right. with Jordan. Ryan Reeves, um, who opened up, he never talks about his personal life. He granted me an exclusive in the story with Al LaRock, the retired high school coach. January was really fun. If you guys like old, if you appreciate old Vegas, or you want to hear about old Vegas, 70s, 80s, 90s, into the 90s, and hear about what it was like back then to run around this town, go to WGRamirez.com and check it out. Because my personal story is just, it's a, it's a collection of interviews with different people I ran across in that time mm-hmm. and why things were different where the respect has been lost, um, growing up, kicking it, the nightclub, names of nightclubs, what it was like to drive up and down the street, uh, the strip, cool, we call it just cruising the strip, and you always, the, the McDonald's and slots of fun, it was smaller, and you that's where you wanted to go pick up girls. 
The local story was on a DJ. Um, a lot of people who live in Centennial Hills have been to Mark Rich's Pizza. It's got Centennial Hills. So Mark Rich was a DJ in 74. He eventually worked for my grandfather at, the, at Jubilation Nightclub. And um, 1994, he lost his wife. He decided it wasn't for him anymore. He started, de- uh, he, he opened up Mark Rich's Pizza. He has since sold them, but they pay him for the rights to use his name. And my celebrity interview was with Stephen Sharippa, who is in The Sopranos. He plays Bobby Bacala, and he's in Blue Bloods. And we did an hour-long Zoom talking about old Vegas. When he was here, he came out here in 79, 80, was here for 20 years before his acting career took off. So I'm, I'm in, I've got my three interviews done, or my interviews done for February. February 3rd is National Women and Girls in Sports Day. Um, and I usually launch it on the Friday of that. So I'm going to try to launch it on the fifth, but I'm doing a, um, my personal story is with the girl that I covered in softball, who is now a juvenile probation officer and and influencing other youth. Um, I covered her in the nineties when she played softball at Gorman. The local story is on two women who are involved with the Golden Knights. One you see is a rinkside reporter, Stormy Buonantani, and then Alyssa Girardi behind the scenes with the PR. And my national story is with WNBA MVP and Las Vegas Aces star, Asia Wilson. Nice. So go to WGRamirez.com, read my stories. They're, 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 whatever the that month's theme, it's on the homepage near the bottom. They're all chronicled. But then if you hit articles, you can see all the stories that have been written. Um, I detail my the mental health stuff. I detail, you know, my, my battle through that and uh, talk about some local athletes. So um, that's, you know, I try to keep it like a magazine, you know. So my old blog site, you never know when, I, when someone's going to put something up. You're trying to tweet it. You're trying to promote it. You don't know who's getting hits. Here, it's monthly. There's three big stories. It's like having a magazine subscription, and you can read it at your leisurely. You have a month to read the three stories. That sounds awesome, man. I, I've checked out a couple of the stories, and the, the Ryan Reeves one is it was really, really good. Like like you said, you never hear from, from him on that side of stuff, so it was really cool for him. It was touch and go to get that approval. Uh, the PR guy wasn't sure he would do it because he he's had some issues just in terms of just wanting to, you know, in his mind, like how personal does he want to let it be out there? You know, I do know that he had he had a little bit of a medical scare with his son. He's had some stalkers with his wife and stuff, you know, just like in just just weird fans, I should say, not stalkers, but like, you know, putting weird comments. They have to privatize. They can't live. It's hard for them to leave little pub, lead a public life when you have people that are leaving, you know, just idiotic comments so but when they pitched it to him and told him it was me we've established a good relationship since he got here and he granted me the interview and we went over some of the quotes there's some of the stuff i left out just because of because when he and i talk we just we're shooting the shit right i mean and there are some things it's like i told ryan i was like dude i'm not gonna put this in there because someone will twist it so on so forth so you know we that's the type of relationship that we've established and so I, I was very uh, happy with the way it came out. I know there were some national hockey sites that um, and bloggers that that liked it as well and publicized it for me. So that's cool, man. Willie, thank you so much for taking all this time for me, man. I appreciate you sharing your story with me. And uh, yeah, man, no. can't thank you enough, man. Absolutely, I always appreciate you. Just next time I see you in the gym and I ask you about a girl, know that I ain't trying to hit on her. <laughs> you got it, man. 
All right, dude. Thanks. All right, bro. Thank you. All right. Yeah.